Once you nail a person down so that they must admit that they've sinned against the law of God, their next offense is likely to be, I didn't know his laws. I'm ignorant. To bring a person to Christ, we must help them see that they are condemned without Christ. But is this plea of ignorance a good defense? If not, how do we answer it? Hello, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, The Bread of Life, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Romans chapter 2, verses 12-16 through 16 gives us the answer to the plea of ignorance. Verse 12 says that God will judge a person not on what they don't know, but on what they know. Verse 14 reveals that everyone has something of a moral law written in their own natures. We are moral beings, and this morality is reflected throughout our societies. Today we see that this accountability goes even further. It is revealed in our consciences, which shout out our own personal moral codes to us on a daily basis. A Russian atheist on one occasion was asked, how was it that order was established in their communist atheist country? How, how did you maintain order in your country when you reject the idea of God and absolute standards? And the, what were the social laws that were written to, to maintain your civil life? And the answer that the atheist gave was, well, as far as I can tell, they imposed upon us certain laws from the Ten Commandments. <laughs> you got to go somewhere. You know it's in you. It's coded in you. And so... It's not a foreign idea. Here's the idea. The Ten Commandments, the moral laws that we even read in our Bibles, are not foreign ideas to human nature. They actually comport with, they're consistent with, how we were created by God as moral beings. And so you can't claim ignorance. Something of that is already coded within you. Verse 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Here Paul is adding an additional idea here. Not only is this moral code embedded in our natures, but God has also given to people an inner voice of conscience that interprets and applies that code. You have a conscience. Now, do you know your conscience is not perfect? You might have thought that was the case and then you got married. Your wife began to refine your conscience in certain areas of your life. Your conscience is not perfect. There are things that you have done wrong that you don't know you've done wrong. You're not pricked in your conscience by this. And there are things that you shouldn't do that you do do, and your conscience doesn't tell you not to do it. And the reason is, is that our, the Bible tells us, our consciences can become seared. The nerve endings of our response to right and wrong that is within us becomes calloused over. But listen, here's what I would say to you. Although... You're not always aware of the things that you shouldn't do and the things you should do. And just because your conscience isn't telling you to do something doesn't mean that you should do it. Just because your conscience isn't kicking in and says that's not the right thing to do doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do because your conscience is silent. That will get you in trouble. But here's something that will help you. When your conscience does tell you not to do something, you better listen to your conscience. When it does say don't do it, pay attention. And the problem is that everybody has offended their own consciences. They've gone against their own consciences. It's a witness that will and does shout to us. Now here's what Paul's going to say. It's shouting to you now, and it's going to scream at you before the judgment seat. Your conscience is going to kick in. 
And it's going to make known. And those things you're not aware of even now, when the light comes upon you, you'll see how you were pushing through to do things that were wrong when you're before the judgment seat. Let's look at verse 16 now. So, our thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Summing it up, your ignorance is not a declaration of innocence, primarily because you're not ignorant. So what you know of right and wrong is enough of a basis for God to judge everyone. And he will bring out, now he says, the secrets or the hidden things. All of it's going to come out. And if you don't know the law of God set down in Scripture, you know the law that God has set down in your own life, and he's going to judge you by that. And you will be guilty. And the one who's going to be conducting this judgment is Jesus Christ. He's the one all of you are going to have to stand before one day. Actually, Peter says that when Peter is preaching to Cornelius, Peter's conclusion is the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's the one who's going to judge all men. And when Paul is preaching to the men in Athens, and he preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ, again, his conclusion is that they are going to be judged by this one in the last days. And here's the interesting here. Paul says that this message, that judgment will take place, and you'll be under condemnation by it, through Jesus Christ, Paul says, is a part of his gospel. It's a part of his gospel. In other words, the message of judgment is a part of the message of the good news. Actually, there's no good news without the bad news. There's no need of the Savior unless there is destruction and ruin without the Savior. And here's something encouraging for us as believers. We who have put our faith in Jesus Christ as the one who has suffered and died for our sins, we will one day stand before him in judgment, but the one who will be judging us is also the one who came and died in our place and is our Savior. How encouraging for us. And that's why it's the gospel. The gospel says the one who you have to account for, for all your sins and for all your actions, the one you have to come before as judge, has come before your sins already once before and died in your place. You can be forgiven and you can be cleansed and you can meet that judge as your Savior, as your Savior in the end and not as your judge alone. If you would choose and receive him now. Let's look at some principles very quickly. We've just got five of them, but I'm not going to elaborate on them much. So let's look at them here. From all these things that we've just considered that Paul wrote, and the first one is this. God's law is the basis upon which he will judge all people. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or how you're raised. Everyone knows something of God's law. Everyone, therefore, is accountable. There can be no plea of ignorance. What you know that you shouldn't have done and you've done, what you know that you, you should do and you didn't do, all of that that you know, regardless of what you know of the Ten Commandments or the Bible, all that's going to come back and bite you someday. All individuals know something of God. All individuals know something of God's grace and goodness. All individuals know something of God's law. And all individuals have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. That's what Paul's saying. Therefore, all of us justly deserve God's punishment against sin. And these verses that we're reading now is leading up to prove a point that Paul is going to drive down completely in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. It's this. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. So, God's law is the basis upon which he will judge all people. Here's the second thing. Sin is a betrayal of your own basic humanity. 
Sin is a betrayal of your own basic humanity. We were encoded in our natures with this moral law, and when we sin, we go against our own natures. Sin is an activity of the self-disassembly of our own souls. It is a destruction of our very being and nature and what we were created for. Your conscience is telling you that. Your conscience is telling you what is consistent with what you are. Sin is not consistent with what God made you to be. Here's a third thing, and this is more important. This sin that is against our own nature also mars us before God, a God who wants to see us righteous before Him. So for the sake of our humanity, we need to deal with sin, but also more so for the sake of God's righteous, loving desires for us, we need our sins to be taken away. We need to be made right with God, and that's what the gospel accomplishes for us. Here's the fourth thing. The gospel and our mission to take it to others therefore requires that we take the law with us. The gospel, our mission to bring people to Jesus Christ requires that in bringing that mission, that gospel to people and fulfilling it, we have to bring the law with us. John Stott quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he was in prison on this point. While he was in Hitler's prison, Bonhoeffer wrote this in his journal. Quote, I don't think it is Christian to want to get to the New Testament too soon or too directly, in quote. And then Stott explains, until the law has done its work of exposing and condemning our sin, we are not ready to hear the gospel of justification. Again, this is important because people have guilt. The people in your community, your neighbor, your friends, they have guilt and it's real guilt. Their consciences are bringing them under condemnation. It's, now there's false guilt as well. And that's at play as well. And that can scream oftentimes louder than real guilt. But people have real guilt. They also have false guilt. And the only way to cure both is to bring them to the depth of their accountability before God. It's to bring them to see the reality of their sin at a way they cannot see it or they might not see it all by themselves. And the Holy Spirit is cooperating with us in this task. It's to bring them to understand the depth of their sin and their accountability before God and the darkness of their own hearts and the justice of their complete condemnation before God. It's only in that way that you can, in a sense, plunge them into the provision that God has made for them and as a result, extinguish false guilt and real guilt. One wonderful telling below. One wonderful telling outpouring of a cleansing and washing that comes through Jesus Christ alone. You have to bring people before these things. You have to bring them before their law. We try to share the gospel with individuals. The first thing we do is actually we talk to them about God. We try to talk about who Jesus was. The reason we do that is we're just trying to turn the light on as bright as we can in the conversation with them and dialogue that we have with them. The, the brighter it is, the better you see yourself. But after we've talked about that for some time and let them wax eloquent and give us their views and we've shared some additional points of understanding for them, we ask them about their sin. You consider yourself a sinner. How do you know you're a sinner? What do you do that really brings you under conviction? And then we add to that added light that God gives us from the word. But what are we doing? We're wanting to bring them under the intensity and knowledge of their sin and we want to explain to them that it's so great and it's so profound that it's, it's not just that they're not sinners and it's not that they're little sinners and it's not that they're ignorant little sinners. Sin has brought them under God's condemnation justly. It's put them in such a dark situation 
such a dire situation if God wasn't being good to them and God wasn't restraining the impulses within them. They'd explode in an eruption of evil. But God has loved them and God has come and God has sought to deliver them through Jesus Christ and there's no way they're going to be able to do it by their own good works. Your hands are stained with sin and you're going to try to wash and wipe away the sin in your life. You're just going to spread the stain. You can't even see how deep is your sin, but God, who knows all things, sees the core of your being, and he can reach down and pluck it out of your heart and deliver you and save you if you trust in him. We have to bring them to these things. We have to help them understand these things. Here's the fifth thing, just by way of conclusion here. The law that is in each person, that moral nature that's in each person, is on the side of the gospel. It's a part of the gospel that knowledge that people have that they do things that are wrong and the Bible says the Spirit of God is actually cooperating with that. God has made man with that nature but then applied to that nature the Bible says the Holy Spirit works to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. That they're sinners, that they lack the righteousness they need, that God requires and that as a result they're going to face judgment and the law is on the side of the gospel. Paul says it's a tutor that's used to bring people to Jesus Christ. To be a human being as God made you to be. To be with God who made you and be right before Him. We need the gospel of Jesus. And there is no other answer. And we have it. We have it. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.